how much of a liability is buying your home too early? Hi, I'm Sam Powell. And I'm Joe Krause, and we are the hosts of the Property Powers Australia podcast. And in this episode, we're talking about what is rent vesting and the benefits of it to build your property portfolio and wealth. Yeah, we also discuss the benefits of buying a home and the opportunity cost involved and when it's the right time for you to make that decision. Yeah, we also share some strategies on how you can get closer to buying your home whilst investing at the same time. Yeah, and finally, look, we share some interesting um, strategies and examples of the cost difference with the figures of rent vesting and buying a home based on a million dollar budget, which is really quite interesting to sort of break down those figures. But before we do get stuck into this episode, I wanted to tell you that this is not the only way that we help people free by this podcast. We have a really great uh, free resource on our website, which is www.propertypowers.au forward slash resources. And it's all about how to maximize your borrowing capacity. And we've shared that for free. So jump on there, check it out. And um, it's a really key way to help you maximize your ROI. Welcome to Property Pals, the podcast where we share everything around how to build a property portfolio from researching areas, financing, structuring, buying, selling, and reinvesting to live a life of financial independence. As a disclaimer, any information shared by myself, Jared, Sam, and the Property Pals team is strictly general and should not be taken as constituting professional advice. You should consider seeking independent legal financial and taxation advice from a qualified professional. Yes, so to rent best or to not rent best? Yes, to buy a principal place residence first or yeah. invest in a property and be a rent vester. So people say PPR, I've heard you say PPOR. Same, same. Same, same. It's like, um, what's in Bali? Same, same, but different. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's same thing. Um, PPR, PPLR, who cares? P- principal place of residency. So it's a big question if you are coming to the field of like starting a journey. Yeah, being able to buy your first property, like having the borrowing capacity to go, like, yeah, I can do that. And my sister, she is like considering uh, buying a home and she was, she's very close to buying a home and then changed it and it's like, oh, do I buy investment property? And I had a really good discussion with her about it um, and broke down, you know, uh, the decisions of of investing uh, in a home and the decisions of investing in a property and what benefits and pros and cons you get with each. Yes, there is definitely financial benefits investing in a home as well as emotional benefits, uh, but I guess we'll talk about the differences. Before we jumped in onto this pod, Pally, mm-hmm. you went and got some stats and some data, uh, and yeah, I love it. Let's bring up some of that, some of those, some of the data and the stats. Yeah, so the um, the reason why was just to paint a bit of a clearer picture. So. Uh, there's a common question that people come to me and go, well, should I buy my principal residence now? You know, I finally, you know, the journey of the, of the buyer, they start out uh, becoming a, and they start working, whatever that is, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then they start saving money, right? And then we, we've obviously coached people on how to save money, and then 
using that money to then go into a property. Once you've accumulated that money, the common question is, well, do I buy a house to live in or do I buy an investment property? And so for different people, um, you know, they may not be able to afford the location they want to live in. So yes. that's, uh, that's a pretty clear indication of, well, you've got this money. Um, if you don't buy, say you've got 100 grand, you, that's enough money to invest in a, into a property. Uh, that might not be enough as a deposit if you're living in a location that you know, requires $200,000 as an initial deposit from the bank's perspective. And in order for you to save up that additional $100,000, it might take you four years. Mm-hmm. 25 grand a year savings, mm-hmm. that's pretty standard. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so well, not for everyone, everyone's different. Some people, <laughs> some people might be like, oh, well, that's nothing. And some people might be like, Damn, I can't. That's like, good. Yeah. Well, apparently, there's like this is some stats thrown out there where they say eighty percent of statistics are wrong, but um, there's like a large percentage of people live on um, say like savings of hundred bucks a week. Oh man, it's a large percentage of people that live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Like if you speak to our mate, uh, some of our mates on the on the site, job sites, it's like literally like, yes, how good's Thursday? I'm going to get paid. Like, whoa. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So, anyway, it's <laughs> if not that's you, then yeah, maybe maybe it's worth starting to rent desk, save, and then rent desk. Well, go back and listen to our, our pod on you know, how to save your first deposit because there's some seriously good nuggets in there. Yeah. Well, yeah. So coming around to um, which is which is best is you know for you to sit out of the market and wait for four years that to save that extra you know, hundred thousand dollars, mm. depending on the, the market and where it's at, right? But mm. more often than not. You're going to be, if you have a budget of, you know, to get into that location is a million bucks as a round number. Mm-hmm. In four years' time, that might be worth, you know, $1.2 million. Mm-hmm. So then you, your deposit size is going to be larger. So you're constantly chasing that, mm-hmm. that uh, mythical dragon in that way. And um, people do get stuck in analysis paralysis and they, they, they don't make that decision. Ten years down the track, you still haven't made that decision to, yeah. to buy a property. Um, so the point being is, well, if you've got that initial cash, what do you do with it? Um, and if you want to go down the principal place of residence uh, pathway, then I'd be looking into the data to see what the growth prospects are for that location okay. as, a, as a starting point, and then looking at your opportunity costs of you know where else you could buy. But just to like in general. Um, the cash flow requirements for your principal place of residence are high and you're getting no income out of it. So they once you go down your, your principal place of residence pathway, mm. you sign up, you've got that 30-year loan term. Um, in the You've got to make those repayments, but you've got no additional cash flow coming through. So it hinders your borrowing capacity for a number of years. So you won't be able to invest in, in property for a number of years. Mm. Whereas if you go down the rent vesting path, because you've got that income, paying for that debt, you can can accumulate more properties, which is getting you to that target of a passive income. Because you need to, you you retire on income. You don't, you know, you don't retire on your home. No, because like obviously, if you're doing the rent vesting, you're renting, and that's costing you money as well. But these are the stats that I put around it, which is yeah, on on a broad base, if you've got a million dollar house. So, say you want to buy a million dollar house, you've got 200K as a deposit, you need $800,000. 
uh, in today's rates, eight hundred thousand bucks in a principal and interest loan is costing you one thousand one hundred and thirty-five bucks a week to hold. Okay, so just say eleven hundred. Yeah, eleven hundred yeah. round figures on an interest only. It's costing you round figures a thousand bucks. Okay, so you're paying about extra bu- extra hundred bucks down your principal at the start, which is you know whatever. But still, you know, a thousand to eleven hundred in repayments to have your principal place residence. For that a million dollar asset, you're probably looking at like in different locations, obviously, but you're probably looking at renting that for around eight hundred bucks a week. Yeah, eight to nine hundred. Yeah. So that's that additional cash flow that you can actually more often than not. Sorry. And I want to add to that because there's more expenses that you need to have. It's not just your repayments, right? It's your rates. So for about a million dollar property, um, we were looking at one the other day. The rates, you know, being at three to four grand a quarter. What? Yes, crazy. Oh. I was like, in a location that's close to us, you know. Mm. Um, and then you've got insurance, property insurance as well. well you'll have property got, insurance from investment yeah, as well. Yeah, and then you also got maintenance of the mm. property as well, which as a, a rent investor you're not paying for. So I just want to add in those sort of expenses as, as well. Like, yeah, yeah you got yeah. additional, you got additional expenses. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. Landlord insurance, you don't need that. Um, but you still have insurance over property of your own. But would it be safe to say that you could put from that eleven hundred dollars P and I repayments, you could add another two hundred dollars a week onto that for rates and for insurance? Yeah, yeah, and then also the, and, and then maintenance too, right? Yeah, which it might actually end up being more. It might end up being you know more than thirteen hundred dollars in repayments. But just say you know two hundred dollars a week is you know probably not that much. Like if your rates are around three to four grand quarter like it's you know and on the go getting up there three four i'd be budgeting like a thousand bucks for rates but a quarter so four yeah. grand a year yeah. yeah and then you've got in property insurance so let's just say it's five grand a year right so yeah 200 bucks roughly roughly yeah so five, five grand's a lot if you're unless you're in townsville like you're <laughs> so yeah. let's just say your repayments are thirteen hundred dollars now <laughs> per per week versus eight hundred dollars Yes. There's a big difference, right? Yep. That's a $500 per week difference. Mm. Yeah. It's which a, is at a savings rate, you know, is that 25 grand a year? I think it's, yeah, it is, right? And then you, yeah. Well, and that's 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 the calculation you got to do in your head. And uh, the more desirable locations in around Australia, the actually, uh, the, the cheaper it is to rent to own. So as an example, I'm buying properties in Sydney, at the moment you're looking at three mil, three million dollars. They're renting for around fifteen hundred bucks a week. Mm-hmm. So, in order, to, if you want to amplify that out, like I'm doing a million dollar as an example. Mm-hmm. If you're buying a three million dollar property, you're looking at say three times that, three thousand bucks a week just to hold it, and then you're renting it for fifteen hundred bucks a week. It's like, yeah, your opportunity cost is massive. Yeah, and that's when you know, that's why everyone is different. It depends on their location, but having those initial chats on the way in. Can really change your life because seventy percent of people that buy their first home, that's not their forever home. So that's a really key point to hit home on is that the house that you buy today as your principal place resident is not going to be your forever home. You grow, um, you change, you might even change locations. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. thinking um, and asking those questions up front is the strategy side of things where you're like, well, where do you plan to be in five years, 10 years, 20 years? You know, if you're constantly changing, then 
you know, maybe buying and, and put, pushing your financial capacity to limits for that principal place of residence for the perceived value of, well, I have security. Uh, you know, it's just that, that question you've got to ask yourself. Even like a good example is my brother, right? He bought a really good, really good house, really good home, redeveloped it, built his dream home, right? They're both like, yeah, absolutely love it. Like it's our dream home. At the same time, you know, they're like, well, we might move locations, right? But they've got their dream home. Like they can go and build that somewhere else. So they're changing locations, which changes things as well. And that's in under a 10 year period too. So, um, most people do. Even if you do, even if you do get to that that place where, like, my brother has his dream home in an awesome location, like, you, you, things change. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and also there's, there's there's some joys in um, you know you can go and try new locations as a renter. You can just pack up, you pay a few thousand bucks in you know, moving fees, go mm. live somewhere else. You can have a different lifestyle. You could choose to go. You know, inland and have that you know tree sort of experience so you could <laughs> love it <laughs> so funny about that one well live in a tree house like oh no i'm talking about like so my that's what that's where my mind went that's why i laughed oh tree house. <laughs> you mean like as in like enjoy a property with trees no you look out it's peaceful man yeah it is like you it's sit nice. there and look at the mountain ranges and yeah. you've got a bit of you wake up you can you don't smell you know um the city vibe, carbon, car, car fumes, and <laughs> yeah. all that. But um, then there's a beauty in waking up and just smelling the ocean. Before we continue today's pod, I want to ask you a few questions. What is your property investment goal? What type of properties do you want to own? How many? What size valuation property portfolio do you want to own? And how much net income do you want to be earning? Essentially, what's your magic number in passive income that you want to be earning? And do you know how to get there? And if you do, do you know how to get there in the least time possible with the least amount of risk? Sam and I have been helping people invest in property and build property portfolios for years. People who are now replacing their income through property and we want to help you do the same. Right now for a limited time, we are offering free property coaching to our listeners. We won't be able to do this forever, of course. So head to propertypals.au forward slash coaching. That's propertypals.au forward slash coaching to see how we can help you achieve your investment property goals. Link will be in the description too. Like it's coming down to us sharing with you, there is opportunity cost in buying a home first over buying uh, an investment property, right? Mm. Becoming a rent vesta. Typically, a rent vesta is going to... that. The reason they're doing it is for financial reasons and mm. typically they're going to, you know, in the long run, starting that sort of route, that sort of strategy financially, it helps them better in the long run, right? But a big but is like, well, hang on a second. There's there's some emotions that come into this too, right, Tim? Yeah, and there's also like going back to what in other podcasts is the financial, you know, you, you can store your wealth in your principal place of residence and don't have any capital gains mm. from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, you know, it depends on what, and, and obviously the security too. So when you're renting, don't, don't get me wrong, most leases are a 12-month lease in um, Australia. Yeah. But you can negotiate three-year leases. Like landlords don't want tenants to be moving every 12 months because it costs Cost me money. Like it's vacancy periods, there's reletting fees. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want the tenant to leave. I'd rather sign them up. The only reason why I don't is that 
I know the rental growth market is just going bananas at the moment. So if I sign up to a three-year lease today, I'm going to be under-renting it, you know, for year two and three. Well, everybody wins in that, you know, if you can work out what you as a property owner would uh, pay in re-letting fees twice over a three-year period and then take that off the rent for a three-year thing, you know, you're both winning. I think yeah. you can meet in the middle there. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and, I mean, that's uh, yeah, to each their own and, and what their level of, like, their big rocks in the jar. They People like moving into their home and renovating it and making it theirs. It's like that nesting kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I fully understand that, and that's why it comes down to individual preferences and circumstances. However, uh, from a financial capacity point of view, it will. It also depends on your situation. What, are you, what else are you doing to increase your revenue stream outside of your principal place residence? If you've got a business and it's generating a lot of money, then yeah, at least you've got an alternative income stream. But if you're just a PAYG person sitting there, you know, you've got that money. There's a lot of opportunity cost being missed in the Australian property market by people just waiting you know, those additional 10 years to buy that. You know, I'm a, I'm a homeowner when, as I said, there's, there's growth pockets out there that are growing really strongly from a capital growth perspective that you can invest in those allocations even sell down within that four-year period and then use that equity to then go and buy your dream home. Yeah. It's a really good point because people may be sitting there with like, all right, I've got 50 grand cash and they might be like, well, buy like, I'm, I'm, yeah, buy a jet ski. Yeah. Don't do that. Buy a jet ski, buy a boat, um, just buy, go buy some liabilities. It's really good for your financial future. Yeah. Uh, no, but like say they've got 50 grand cash and like, well, I'm saving up to buy my dream home. Well, okay, you can do that. And at the same time, you can invest as well, right? Like say they've got 50 grand, they could go and buy a 300K property, mm. right? Um, and that's a that's enough for a deposit for 300K property and entry costs and all that sort of stuff. You could buy a 300K property that might grow at a growth rate of, you know, what have we got, 5%. So that's 15 grand a year it might grow at. You're putting your money to work where you're getting, you know, 5% growth in a 300K property. You're getting 15 grand compounding roughly a year. Over four years' time, you've got an extra 60 grand, right? Very rough figures and rough numbers. But over four years, you're putting your money to work that 50 grand that can make you 60 whilst you continue to save. And then after about four years, you can take take out your 50 that you already have in there and then maybe your 60 in, in growth and then you've got, you know, 110 plus whatever you save from your PAYG, you're getting closer to buying your dream home by putting that money to work for you, right? right? So you're doing the rent vesting thing whilst you're saving for your dream home at, at the same time. Yeah. And then like an example is if you, know, you buy a $500,000 property, um, it goes up 100 grand in that in a 12-month period, which is, you know, We've seen. We we talked about the last pod. If you haven't listened to the last pod, we, there was one location that went nuts. Like, yeah, was that nine hundred grand in twelve months? Yeah. Well, what was the percentage of growth in? It was almost double, right? So it doubled. Yeah, one point four million to two point three eight in yeah. twelve months. Yeah. Uh, so there's opportunity cost of you. There's a massive opportunity cost of people sitting there saving for their dream home if they have a little bit of cash and they're not doing anything with it. Yeah, and even just just thinking through what what is your dream home now to. Uh-huh. 
Like, what would be for you is my change. I'm the classic example. My dream home right. was not what I, my dream home is today, you know, five <laughs> years ago. Uh, <laughs> Lots changed for you in five years. Yeah, I want I'm, my next home is like a, I want to have a detached studio for my nanny to go in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <That's laughs> like, pair. Oh, pair. Oh, that's a cool little vibe. But yeah. um, after a few years, once the kids, the kids grow up, we've talked about this in a previous episode where there's the, the life cycle journey of you know, a lot of people and um, it goes from a generally a small residence to a medium to a large residence back to a smaller residence in later years in your life. Really good timeline, really good thing to think about. Thinking, yeah. thinking through these things is really key and um, a lot of it is now in the data and like we've got so much more access to that. Yes, it costs a lot of money, uh, but that's obviously talking to the right people who know you know, where to put that money to work for you is going to reduce that cost because a lot of people, they don't know what the opportunity is out there mm. and there's a lot of fear around it. And then it's because I know this because this is what, what I thought when I was, you know, had my, saved up my 100 grand, I was stoked. Mm-hmm. And then I was, it was analysis paralysis. Like, do I rent this? Do I buy an owner-occupier? Like, yeah. what confidence do I have? And then throughout my journey of now, come to the realization that if you get it right, um, yeah, reinvesting is a really um, beneficial strategy to, yeah. your, to, your, to your goals in life, which is generally passive income, retirement, freedom, time. Also took me ages of having cash in the bank account to realize like that's not doing me any good. Like it's really burning a hole in my pocket is what most people say. It's like, damn, like I remember like one time I had like a decent chunk of cash in my bank account and I was like what like I didn't know that I like I didn't know where to invest it like I had invested in so many like I invested in businesses but like I can't just continue doing that because I've got risk in that market right I need to diversify I didn't know where to go and didn't know the opportunity costs of property <laughs> now now I'm a raging fan well that's why you want to do this podcast yeah so yeah but um it's not, you know, well, people listen to this, they're here for, for property and business. So, mm. you know, we're massive advocates of Jared's infinite loop, which is mm. you know, doing both. Um, it's just that the, the, the risk component with property is a lot lower than, than business. Absolutely. Um, but then, yeah, your cash flow returns out of businesses is, is a lot higher than property. Mm. But um, if you get it right, it's a really you know, simple and beneficial strategy to help people. Yeah. So, we talked about like if if you're in a position like where you're at, like maybe it's not the best for you to go away and buy a home and what you could do instead. But what if like the, the, it's different? Like what if they somebody does have two hundred k and or say what say somebody's got like yeah I can access three hundred grand and they can buy their dream home with three hundred grand. But that's everything that they've that they've just say maybe they've pulled or sold a property or sold some assets or pulled equity out of certain things and they've like I've got three hundred grand and they go away and buy their dream home. Is when is that worth it for them to hmm. do so? Well, on based on personal preference. It's all personal preference, right? Yeah, and it, you can take that. Uh, like for me, it'd be the data and the opportunity that I could see. Like for, for me, I, I, I'm, I'm sure Kayla would have some say in uh, yeah, emotions as well. That's what I mean, man. Like it's, <laughs> it's not, it's you as a team or you, like if it's just you, then it's like, well, 
what lights you up? What's your big rock? Yeah. You know, like, is it, you might really love what you're doing, you know, and you're not driven to, oh, I want to retire, you know, mm-hmm. I want that passive income, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you just would feel, like, actually feel on a physical level happier in a home because you know you own it or part of it. Yeah. At least. And there's a lot of um, <laughs> sort of getting into the, 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 the hamster wheel of life, whereas a lot of people always push you, you know, buy a principal place of residence because it's secure and, you know, you can, you know, you know you've got somewhere to live if in the event of the world falls over, you know, but um, you know, there's, there's also, you know, times where I, I get it of late, you've seen people that have been renting and then their house gets sold because the owner obviously wants to cash in. And then they've got to go into the rental pool and then they're competing with a whole bunch of people in mm. like trying to get a home. And it's stressful because you generally get a two-month leeway into trying to find a rental. Um, and then you're, if you don't find that rental that fits your budget, it's, you know, it's quite stressful. Absolutely. <clears throat> and not to be too heavy on the rent best aside here, my sister did mention this to me the other day. She's like, if I don't go buy my home that I want, Right? And they're having a family and I go and buy an investment property and it's a house. That cancels out the whole, like, if the world turns to shit, like, I need security because she can have a house that she just goes, she's she's investing in or renting out. She can just go, yep, cool, this is my home, I need it, you know. Like, if she's renting somewhere and the world turns to crap. So, like, as a rent investor, you still can have that security of somewhere to have a roof over your head if you need to as well. So, that's sort of... Not to be too heavy again on that side, but does sort of cancel that out as well. But I do get the feeling of like, this is my home, like un- like owning a home in a location that you like and like, I want to change some walls, I want to do some renovations or I want to hang something up over here and you can do that. You can do that in the rental too. I tend to put, like, you want them to make it a home. Yeah. And it's a conversation too with your landlord is, you know, when you're going into your lease, you know, what are your plans with this property for the next you know, three years? Mm-hmm. You can even negotiate with the landlord and say, look, I'll sign a three-year lease. I'll yeah. sign a five-year lease. Yeah. You know, like um, you can even do a five-year lease on a rental with a you know, CPI in, uh, rental in- increase. Uh-huh. Everything's a negotiation at the end of the day, but most people don't, um, don't even know that you can do that. I know that in Europe, what they do is they renovate the bathrooms and kitchens in their, like, they, if they struggle to buy, you know, their PPOR, and what they do is they want a nice kitchen and a nice bathroom. So what they do is they will renovate it, and then they, when they, like, their lease will end, they will go and um, charge the person who te- is the new tenant uh, a certain amount of money for the renovation they've done, and that cost just keeps getting pushed backwards, back, 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 to the new tenant, not the owner. What? Um, That's yeah, cool. it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, thing that I, I heard from somebody um, that you know did that with their kitchen in, in in Europe. I just thought, wow, you know, that's a possibility as well, for sure. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's where my mind goes to. Well, if you're a tenant, you can say to the owner if they want to increase the rent. So, well, how about we we paint it and we mm-hmm. keep the rent the same, or we yeah. replace the carpets and yeah. keep the rent the same. Yep. Um, and provide the landlord the invoice so they can claim it on tax. Mm-hmm. Love that. Mm-hmm. But that keeps your cash flow low and you live in a nicer place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a win for everyone. Yeah, so multiple different strategies. But it, I guess we're sort of running around like 
everyone is different. The answer to this overarching episode question is you know, to each their own. Yeah, my point of view. Yeah. Um, depends on what you value more, you know, in your personal life and what opportunities you have that are in front of you to um, help you make that decision. But if you are chasing that passive income and um, I guess that wealth journey, just know that going into your principal place of residence first is going to set you back from hitting those goals uh, later in life. Um, but, you know, life's a journey too. Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> And also people wanting to get into their into their principal place of residence as fast as possible. I understand you're probably in a position, a better position that you that you may consciously know that you're in. And you may be able to go away and take forty grand or fifty grand. You've got to if if you're in a unique position to have that to help you speed up your journey to get to your principal place of residence as well. Yeah, you can also de risk it too by if you're really worried about the future. You know, then buy a, a property that's you know, within a, a few hours' drive of your location. Once again, look into the data sets, make sure that there's growth opportunities there. But, uh, you know, if everything goes to your landlord sells your property out, you know, you, you've got a 12-month lease on your investment property. Yeah, you know, it's like, well, if everything goes down, I know it's not the, the best morally thing to do, but you, you've got to choose you over other people and... You just have to rent somewhere or Airbnb somewhere for a few months until your your investment property lease expires. Then you move in there. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's there's ways to de-risk everything, and you just got to ask the right questions to yourself. Yeah, absolutely, guys. If you guys have any questions or you feel like, oh, maybe I can invest uh, and get yourself closer to buying more properties for your portfolio as an investment and be a rent investor, or maybe you can buy a smaller property just to get you closer to your buying your first home, reach out to us, propertypals.au. We're here to chat. We're here to help you. We do want you to set yourself up financially. Like we love talking about this. If you didn't realize, we've started a whole <laughs> podcast on it. Uh, and we love helping people that, you know, the significance we get from it and, you know, the just the fulfillment we get from it is huge. So, yeah, reach out. Yeah. Well, we just had a question to start this episode, which is well, – <laughs> Do you rent best or do you own? And I mean, we've rambled for what half an hour or something now, but um, you don't know what you don't know, as I always say. And um, just ask the right questions. And yeah, we're here to help. So, any questions, if you do have them, please um, write a comment or send us an email hello at propertypowers.au. And if you're up for it, come on the pod. We'd love to just riff it, have a chat, and um, help people uh, similar to yourself. We could get people on the pod and sort of hash out some investment strategy for them as well, which would probably be pretty valuable. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> yeah, for people to for people to like think about like us talking through different ways that somebody could could rent best to get to their property that they want to purchase their home, um, or rent best to just continue building the portfolio. So, mm. yeah, thanks guys. We'll see you in the next one. Ciao for now.